This is Earth Files, the award-winning news site with the latest updates in science, environment, and real X-Files. Podcasting in-depth reports beyond the 6 o'clock news by Emmy Award-winning journalist Linda Moulton Howe. Hi everyone here and around the world. I have a lap full of kitties with me tonight. Here is Fluffy. Here is Chocolate. Often they are playing games and tonight they came almost as if, okay, we'll sit with you tonight for a while. And I'm so glad in this very difficult time on earth. I hope that all of you with your dear furry souls uh, keep them close and protected. And I'm going to let them down in order to share with you some important information. Yeah, that's why I knew that he, he was hooked on. I hope that all of you are having a safe and happy Halloween a couple of days ago on Monday, October 31st. But I bet you didn't know that October 31st is now also the annual date specified by the 2022 defense bill that mandates Congress receive an annual declassified update about UFO UAPs plus a classified annex. And the government due date for those reports is October 31st through the year 2026. Is the Halloween holiday on purpose to reduce the seriousness of investigating UFOs and alien intelligences on Earth? Here's what NBC News said, quote, government UFO report time for Halloween seems to downplay spooky sightings. It wouldn't be the first time officials put the issue to rest without a full open-minded investigation, close quote. Now, the reason for this congressional order for annual UFO UAP updates came after Congress called for the establishment of a permanent Department of Defense office to study unidentified aerial phenomena. But instead of opening up the truth, the Pentagon office that keeps changing its name is already suffering ridicule. And when NASA made its recent announcement of forming a 16-person science panel, to investigate UFO UAPs, its press release said, quote, there is no evidence supporting the idea that UAPs are extraterrestrial in origin, close quote. Even the New York Times on October 28, 2022, headlined what sounds like a deliberate Pentagon misinformation press release, quote, many military UFO reports are just foreign spying or airborne trash, close quote. And yet, the very fine American men and women who serve the Department of Defense in wars and intelligence missions are one of the largest populations of UFO, eye, uh, uh, UFO eyewitnesses and have been since at least World War II, even if silenced by non-disclosure agreements and ridicule. Tonight, I would like you to hear the firsthand testimony of an American Navy UFO eyewitness. For his protection, I'll call him John Smith. In his first email, he wrote, quote, 
Over the years, I've only told two others about my experience. I told my brother, who did not believe me, and I told a friend who did not believe in extraterrestrial life. He said I was dreaming, but I know I was not. Now my life and health are not going well. I feel it is important to tell someone, and if you would like to speak with me about this, here is my phone number, close quote. He sent me a written summary about his UFO experience at age 22 when he was in the U.S. Navy during the summer 1986 Westpac, that means the mission location was in the Western Pacific, in the Indian Ocean. The ship was the USS Samuel Gompers AD-37, an American destroyer tender that was sailing solo. Its goal was to remain independent, staying away from all other ships. No one was to know where they were for intelligence reasons. That mission lasted about six months. The Indian Ocean is the third largest of the world's five oceanic divisions, covering about 20% of the water on the Earth's surface. That's 27,240,000 square miles. The Indian Ocean is bounded by Asia to the north, Africa to the west, and Australia to the east. To the south, it is bounded by the southern ocean of Antarctica. The USS Samuel Gompers destroyer tender was commissioned the first of her class in July of 1967. The ship was named after a 19th century American labor leader. It was designed to be a floating repair shop for ships of the U.S. Navy either in port or at sea. By the summer of 1986, the large ship was in the Indian Ocean on a Western Pacific classified training cruise, and one night at 2.30 a.m., 22-year-old navigator John Smith from Maryland was working on the bridge. This was his first and only Western Pacific Westpac assignment. Today, he is 58 years old, in ill health, and wants to tell the truth about what he saw with his own eyes in 1986 in the Indian Ocean. He begins by reading a report that he wrote for me. At that time, I was a QM. I was a quartermaster on board the Samuel Gompers. I was working on the bridge at the time. The night of the experience, the bridge was all quiet. Weather conditions, the sky was clear, calm seas, two-foot wind waves. The visibility was out to nominal horizon, approximately seven nautical miles. We had a clear night. We were conducting special operations and running solo. We had taken great pains to be hidden and our presence unknown. No other ships or aircraft had been seen for two days. At approximately 2.30 a.m., a radio call came over the 1MC from CIC, the Combat Information Center. They sounded confused, unsure of what they were saying. They reported seeing something on radar. They said the contacts were there, then not there. Another call came from the lookouts outside above the main bridge. They were clearly shaken and uncertain on what they were seeing. I asked them to calm down and speak clearly. They reported lights of multiple colors appearing and disappearing in an erratic fashion. I looked at the radar repeater. I saw some contacts for a quick moment, but they were gone. At this point, Lieutenant Commander Gregory and I quickly grabbed a couple of binoculars. We went out to the starboard bridge wing. The lights were reported to be appearing about 1,000 yards dead off of our stern at an altitude angle of 30 degrees and maintaining position. I remember one of the lookouts saying it looked like they were shadowing us. Both Lieutenant Gregory and I immediately saw the lights. I remember the officer of the deck giving me a bewildered look and saying something like, who the hell is that? We looked on as the lights kept popping in and out. I counted 12 to 15 lights appearing in red, green, yellow, blue, and orange in color. The officer of the deck and I went back to the chart table, and after a rather intense discussion, 
we agreed to wake up the captain. Captain John Amos came to the bridge wanting to know what was going on. As soon as he saw the lights, he quickly went back to the bridge and ordered the ship to general quarters. We armed and equipped ourselves. The captain ordered our weapon systems to target to engage the unknown contacts off our stern. I remember CIC kept reporting back that they were unable to track or lock onto targets. The captain was furious. The bridge became a hornet's nest. I remember the faces of the bridge crew were looking pale, confused, scared. Then it stopped. Approximately 15 minutes after the initial contact, the lights were gone. We remained at combat-ready alert until 8 a.m. the next morning. We were reminded of the sensitivity and importance of the operation we were involved in and ordered to not discuss it with anyone. Later, upon returning to port, myself and several others from the bridge crew on duty that night were called into a room on base. We were made to sign documents stating we would never talk about the incident. I remember the crew was pretty uneasy, and no one would directly mention it. I remember writing the log that night. I was told to be accurate and report every detail, so I did. Even though I had lived it, I had a hard time reading it after I wrote it. I remember thinking, this report will never see the light of day, or it will just get rewritten. And it would seem to be something that would be very upsetting to people in charge of military operations and large ships. They would hear from the radar people that they couldn't get a lock on to these objects that were moving around over the ship. That's correct. We would call the CIC. Do you have a lock? Do you have anything on your system? What do you see? I kept asking them that. And they were coming back saying, we see it, and it's gone. And then they would say, we see it again. It's showing up, but it's gone now. And this happened several times. So it was just a lot of confusion. We couldn't figure out why it's not on radar. And then when the weapon systems were trying to lock on, they couldn't lock on to anything. So the captain looked bewildered as well. And it implies that the intelligence associated with those colorful lights knew how to block on radar, knew how to block military systems, and were signaling that they were not going to fight, they were not going to attack. They could block our radar, and they could block our weapons. Yes, that was the consensus during that time. Nothing is working We have no control over the situation. But again, I want to emphasize that I never got a feeling of danger or dread or anything of that nature. It was like playful, like here we are, you can see us, and then you can't see us. They never approached us. They stayed at pretty much the same distance. They were just there, then they were gone. And you could conclude that they were trying to be friendly and let everybody see them, but they were sending signals that they were not going to do battle. That's the feeling that I got. They were not being hostile. Nothing affected our ship other than our systems could not lock onto them. What kind of briefing were you all given about this being UFOs? Well, basically, we were told that the incident didn't happen, that we weren't to talk about it, that it would be investigated outside of our purviews. For the next few days, we were all just kind of giving each other nods. Can you believe that happened? But we never actually would verbally talk about it. What would happen if you ask the captain, what are these lights? What are these UFOs? What do they want? Well, we had to sign a paper saying that we would never discuss it. You had to sign a non-disclosure agreement? Yes. And isn't that the whole point now of whether Congress, before the end of December 31st, 2022, is going to pass the amendment that would make it more possible for you, let's say, in the Westpac incident, 
where you would be able to talk with your superiors about UFOs, ETs, the implications, what is neutral, friendly, hostile, why do we have these non-disclosure agreements everywhere in the military about UFO encounters, entity encounters, why since World War II have non-disclosure agreements been used to keep everybody quiet about a reality that is true? Well, I suspect that the military has responsibility to keep people safe and to make people feel that they are safe. And this UFO phenomenon, it makes people feel unsafe. They don't know if they can trust their government, their military to protect them. So in a sense, it's just a way of keeping things under control. But we are at the end of 2022. Things are not under control on this planet. It might be that if they would open up the truth that we're not alone in this universe and never have been, and that there are extraterrestrial biological entities inside of the Earth and the Moon and Ganymede and beyond, it might draw humans back together. It could. I've spoken with people that say, yes, it would bring us closer together, but there's also the people that are deeply rooted in religious dogma. Some of these people will not react well, and it could become a dangerous situation at that point. So I think that some of the powers that be, they want to release the information, but they are hesitant because they're afraid of those groups that would react in a very negative way. But isn't it fair to say that we're in a universe that has been evolving for 13.8 billion years and that many people now know on this planet, whether it's been intelligence or military or medicine or physics, they have been told and briefed. We're not alone. The universe is teeming with consciousness and that we have extraterrestrial biological entities in our solar system based on Earth and beyond. Having that knowledge, the people who have that information have become the power brokers on Earth, an elite layer. Everybody else is kept in the dark. They're the only ones that get to know the truth. Isn't that why the Earth is increasingly unstable? I think that it is. I think that the powers that be want to stay in power and they want to keep control. And they fear anything that will destabilize their authority and their power. But I still believe that at some point the truth will come out. I think it must. I think that it can at the right time. Human consciousness has been developing from a very simple form of existence. Early man was probably primitive in their thinking and reasoning. And when they encountered or observed something that we would call an extraterrestrial life form, they didn't know how to really communicate it or even understand it. But over time, human consciousness is growing, developing, becoming more. And as it does, we are opening up the universe that we see, and we see it more clearly. At some point, I believe we will reach a level where we are able to accept the truth that we're not alone in the universe and become part of something bigger and greater than ourselves. You know, I've asked myself, could people at the top of our government really do all this on their own? And I don't think they could. I think a lot of them are scared, and they don't want to say anything because authorities that are non-human probably made statements to the effect that you cannot do this. You cannot let the populace know this. I suspect there's many species, and we're kind of caught in the middle of things. I've always believed that many of these species have been here for millions and millions of years before we were. And the ones that are dangerous are the ones that have nefarious agendas that may not be in our best interest. And who would you describe as being hostile with nefarious agendas? What do you know? I just have certain suspicions that before human beings were prevalent on Earth, I think that other species may have been here. 
and that some of the UFOs or some of the unexplained things that we're seeing are uh, those that were here long before we were. The reason I mentioned the reptilians is because I believe some of them and their species, and I believe there's many species of reptilian from different locations, some on-world, some off-world. I believe that the ones that are here on Earth, some of them believe that the Earth was their home first, that they see us as an inconvenience, something that's here that they didn't really want here, that the Earth belongs to them. Things are going to change rapidly now, and because of what we're doing and our effect on the planet, I've got a strong feeling that at some point there will be some form of recognition, of announcement. I'm just not sure exactly how that will happen. But I believe the ones that will be in charge of all this will be the extraterrestrials themselves that make the decision to finally let the information out, to let people see the truth of what's been going on. I hope tonight that there are other military experiencers with the UFO phenomena in the audience and that I could encourage you to get in touch with me through, it could be FedEx, it could be Proton Mail, uh, it could be uh, Hard Mail. And I'm also grateful to all of you who send in reports about your experiences with high strangeness. And some are military, some are not, but that is what I'm hoping is that we will move into a period of where everybody is trying to be as honest as possible about what they have really experienced without being afraid of ridicule. And recently, I received an email from a Birmingham, Alabama resident who followed up my broadcast a couple of weeks ago about the triangle in the clouds over White Sands Missile Range in New Mexico. And this is another intriguing triangle experience. The Alabama eyewitness writes, quote, during the summer of 2017, I was with my uncle during daylight and we witnessed the appearance of three black upside down triangles, which flashed on and off in the same location just above the horizon. And I'm interpreting a black upside down triangle to mean if it's this way, maybe it's the point is down, is upside down, but if it's up like a pyramid, that that would be their definition of upright, and that they're seeing triangles that are with a point down, I'm interpreting, and if the writer has any other information, let me know. Uh, but So they're watching this, and they're seeing a triangle flash on and off in the exact same location and just above the horizon, I think with the point down. There was no sound, it was clear weather, and it was in the exact same spot. One upside down triangle would appear for a second or two and then disappear. A few seconds later, it happened again for a total of three times. My uncle is religious and he directs a church in Germany and I did not want to discuss the unusual sighting we saw, so I was keeping it to myself. But he kept bringing it up about how puzzled he was by what we had seen. We could not understand how you would flash something so large on and off so quickly. Now fast forward to June 13, 2020 at 12.26 a.m. I was with two other people in the same location and we saw in what we what, that we saw the triangle in with my uncle. The difference being it was daylight before and now it's night and the triangles are light, like light instead of black the way they were during the day. Again, no sound, clear skies. And I am writing to you wondering if it is a portal into another dimension, the same place different timelines, different years, slightly different changes in dark versus light, but nevertheless, triangles repeating patterns above the same spot at two different timelines. And what if the portal opens 
to another dimension that is dark when we are in daylight and we see a dark triangle and then conversely when it is dark and the other dimension is light we see a light triangle. It could then be possible that if both dimensions are similar in light temperature that the portal would not be discernible. Thank you for inviting the public to share our recorded experiences with you and I thank you for sending in yours. I've never received a report like yours in Alabama before. But that's my whole goal in doing the Earth Files YouTube channel, is to try to share as much evidentiary material as possible and then see what is out in the viewing audiences here and around the world that are similar, that are repeating, that sketches show similarities because we humans need to help each other because we're on a very difficult time in this planet. And I hope, as the video that you just saw uh, from John Smith, that people who have served in the military and have had experiences with UFOs, he's not the only one who has said to me that he thinks we hold the truth. And I guess that's my mantra. So on that note, Ian, I'd like to transition over to you to see what comments and questions we have. Linda, I'd like to welcome everyone who's tuned in from all around the world this evening, from all over the United States, the United Kingdom, Sweden, Netherlands, Australia, New Zealand, and many other places as well. Thank so thank you. Thank and you. Linda, we'll go straight into this. See the truth, the whole truth, is answering the question of why couldn't this U.S. Navy destroyer tender locked radar on UFOs. Yeah. Because the very aspect of its ability to move is based on an electromagnetic bubble invalidating the frequency on any throw to null. There is no refraction. It simply nullifies its pickup by making it clear off it like making it clear off it like oil and water. The same reason they don't want sudden burst nuclear warheads. The strength required to throw an EMP large enough to bottom out such a vehicle is outmatched by simply using the same bubble against it. And no civilian contained military are aware or in possession of such. Okay, what, yeah. is, what is the source? Even like you're reading from something. What is this? Yeah, I don't know the source. Obviously, that's what, what we've had submitted as an answer to your question. Okay. And if uh, the source of what Ian has just read, are you able to communicate with me privately uh, by mail or uh, by proton mail or some other way? I would like to be able to ask some questions about what I just heard, if that's possible. Yes, we ask everybody to please give us more information where possible yeah. and, uh, and, and back this up. Contact us at earthfiles at earthfiles.com. Yes. Okay, what else have we got? Okay, Linda, people are talking about their own experiences again, but uh, people are also asking, uh, here's, here's one that wants, wants to know about, um, the tri his Moonbird actually says, the triangular craft that he's seen was only visible in camera. It was the strangest thing, only through the camera lens. I've heard that before and I don't know the physics. If there is anybody in the audience tonight, who has worked in engineering, aerospace, uh, or physics, who could understand why would something appear in a camera lens, and we would probably have to provide information about the various kinds of camera lenses that might this might apply to, and only be seen through the camera. A lot of this comes up in material that I am reading right now, uh, from a military source having to do with frequencies that, again, like my conference presentation, the key it, to everything is frequencies. Depending upon filters and frequencies that the uh, extraterrestrial advanced intelligences use, this is my understanding how they go between invisibility and visibility, for example. The popping in and popping out that is so common and has been seen so many times since World War II. Again, the control of frequencies. So 
that to me is one of the categories of what I call advanced technology being used by other intelligences. Linda, we've got another question here from Dr. Dolores Mize. She says, um, yeah. Hello. okay, uh, from a psychologist, do your military whistleblowers ever break down and weep when they tell Linda their story? Because I believe the military was treated a bomb. It is a very interesting question. I have had people break down and cry, uh, especially if I have met with them and we're face to face and people start telling their uh, whatever it is that they have encountered and I'm present. Uh, there is a sense that they have been so bottled up and that talking with a person in, and not through a phone, not through a computer, that there is more emotion that is released. I would say I have witnessed that. But I also know that I have received in the last year or two some of the most extraordinary soul-searching, turning their experiences inside out to let me know what has happened to people, uh, whether or not they were in military or science or medicine or aerospace or the general civilian population. And interestingly enough, I think that some of the more emotional responses that I can remember seeing with people is that they have a recognition, a sudden recognition. They're either put, a hologram is put in front of them that relates to something that only they know and they are uh, being shown like a recreation of a part of their life or something in a hologram. And it is the astonishment of, of realizing that whatever is happening, these beings are showing evidence of monitoring. And that I think is one of the reasons for a lot of, of emotion. And for those of you uh, here tonight, if you have had a conscious, firsthand, face-to-face -face, with any of the being types that have been woven through uh, so many programs for the last three or four years, and it's in consciousness that you have had conscious interaction, it is, to me, in the category of asking the question like with John Smith tonight, because I really think this is part of the uh, dialogue that goes on between humans and the non-humans, but we're not educated about it. When John Smith got the sense, the feeling, as he kept, he used the uh, phrase strong feeling, that whatever the intelligences were doing in those different colored lights, like Christmas tree-like colors in the sky, that he did not feel in danger. He did not feel fear. He felt that, in a way, they were being played with. I have heard other people say that they have had a strong feeling in that direction as well, as if there is a kind of telepathic or a frequency in which there is a broadcast of a certain intention and people pick it up. But that leads to the question of why in other cases there is panic, there is fear. Is it directly related to differences in the different intelligences that have different agendas? Is it humans at least empathically can pick up on frequencies coming off of anything in front of them? because of some gift of intuition, of sensing that humans have? Or is it related directly to intention of the different intelligences? Intention being everything from friendly and trying to help to neutral and not caring to hostile, outright hostile. And any of those three categories, I would assume that most human beings would have a sense of what it was they were feeling because that's one thing humans definitely do. We know when we're in the presence usually of someone who 
might do something that could hurt you uh, or somebody who is completely the opposite of that who is loving and the frequencies are friendly and there is no concern. Humans live with that every day. Well, when you translate that to a whole other, let's say, complexity of a variety of intelligences from other planets, how does that translate to us? And those, uh, those impressions, like John Smith, that he didn't feel that there was a direct threat, is the intelligence then playing a lot with the military? And it's a pretend cat and mouse game. And there may be people tonight who have some insights into that part of all of it. I would love to receive information. Uh, my, my goal is to try to share as much firsthand as I can and if we have evidentiary material to try to keep evolving since it does not appear that what is taking place now on trying to open this up publicly through Congress asking, it, it, isn't, it doesn't seem to be happening very rapidly. So, dear friendly Earthfiles viewers, let's keep trying to help each other evolve this. Okay, Ian. I'd just like to say thank you to the generous uh, viewers in the giving us the super chats this evening. Here we go. This Moonbird, JJ Lancey, Terry D, Caroline Boyce, Sexy Sadie, Judy Graham, Jeannie Nash, Ray McBride, Zip784, Wayne Bowell, and we'd like to wish a happy birthday as well to Miss Anonymous 617 from uh, Boston, Massachusetts, who's celebrating her birthday tonight as well, and also say she's had some experiences. Well, happy birthday in Boston, and uh, feel, uh, please feel free. I don't use anything publicly with anybody's name unless I have written permission. So you can communicate with me at earthfiles at earthfiles.com, and I will not be sharing anything that somebody does not give me written permission to use. But the more I'm exposed to, hopefully the more helpful I can be to all of you with insights. And thank you, all of you, for uh, the super chat support. All of it is uh, extremely helpful. And thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, Miss Anonymous says that she saw um, at 1 a.m looked outside and saw a light that was pulsing different colours. It wasn't a star. It actually hurt her eyes to look at it. She's uh, sending us a video anyway. Yes, uh, and everybody, we should have this as a mantra. If you can use crayons, coloured pencils, and sketch what you see. I'm not looking for art. I'm looking for colours as close to the colours that you remember in your mind's eye. The shape of craft, uh, everybody should be able to draw or sketch at least an idea of the type, since there are so many different types, the triangles and the spheres and the tic-tac ovals and uh, some that are shaped like uh, a lens and some that have uh, uh, Saturn-like, it just goes on and on. So it helps so much to get sketches from you all through your mind's eye of what did you see, and the colors can be very meaningful. So for those of you who would like me to see through your eyes and your mind's eye, when you send me um, a report, whether it's an email or a, hand, a letter through the U.S. mail, um, make sure that you do sketches of the beings that you see with color, the craft that you see, and then sometimes I have insights because I get so many, then I begin to get comparisons between the different stories that go with different types. And it all helps to get towards some kind of clarity about which intelligences are doing which approaches in which types of craft. It may not always tell us why, but at least I find it really helpful to get the sketches. Okay, Ian. 
Yeah, I just second that. Whenever I've interviewed people, I always take a, a pink yeah. uh, thing of crayons and they can uh, really give us a good yeah. description of what they've seen. Okay, we've got other people who are asking questions about Antarctica, Linda. Do you have any more information? And Linda, do you think we will achieve disclosure about the ancient ruins and civilizations in Antarctica within this decade? All good questions. If I had good, solid, more material to add to the documentary that I did, Alien Secrets Beneath the Ice, I would um, either make another documentary or share it in pieces at earthfiles.com, the news website, or here. But I have had the impression that since I did the film and it went out into the world, that there have been people who were willing to talk about Antarctica when I was doing the film who then have said it's too dangerous and that they can't. Well, what is the danger? What is the knowledge that our government and perhaps other governments have about what is two miles down beneath the ice, uh, beneath the Beardmore Glacier? And, th and that, is, that is the part also that the seal, Spartan One, was there, and another seal had been there three times, who reinforced everything that Spartan One had told me for the film, that if it is an, uh, going back 45,000 years, 35,000 years, was constructed by other intelligences coming and going from this planet to somewhere else, and that it was deliberately built so that it would be deep under the ice, because just as Lou Elizondo keeps pointing out that there are these, uh, one of the characteristics of the UFO phenomena that separates it from something man-made is the ability of craft to go in the air, into water, uh, into ice, to go into different mediums and stay the same craft, just moving in and out of different uh, types of material. And th that ability uh, is part of the extraordinary question, how would anything from any planet anywhere in the universe have built a gigantic, well, let's just call it a facility made out of some kind of hard black material, two miles down in ice, and then have it function so that when it was discovered in uh, these more recent times that just moving through hallways, the uh, greenish light just glows in the walls as the person walks by so that it is alive, it's functioning. Well, we're heading toward that kind of world already with artificial intelligence is where humanity is moving so quickly and eventually we will have homes, we will not have uh, lamps and things. We will just do this and light will come up on walls and it'll be programmed, everything will be programmed and depending upon the energy systems that are installed, what would allow uh, a huge facility two miles down in Antarctica to have the ability to interact with motion and create lights and energy 45,000 years later or 35,000 years, whatever it is. Uh, I don't have a solid answer to that. Neither did Spartan One, neither did the other seal who had been there three times. But uh, as far as I'm concerned, what I have reported in my documentary, Antarctica, Alien Secrets Beneath the Ice, is the accurate description of a seal who had been there and then contributions from another who had been there but not on uh, direct interview. And that after my film started being distributed, uh, I know that there were a few people who said that uh, talking about Antarctica was suddenly uh, dangerous. So two plus two equals four or something else. I recommend that as many of you as can get Antarctica, Alien Secrets Beneath the Ice. 
It's in my Earthfile shop. I really think it is a very important uh, documentary. And for people who do see it, I have had some people uh, write and say, when I was doing X job, uh, some of what you have reported about, I have been exposed to, but people will only go so far sometimes. What I need would be an entirely huge new piece of information to evolve into another film uh, as well as reporting here. So someone is trying to make it very difficult, I think, to get more information about Antarctica currently and how that fits into the whole global picture of tall whites and Nordics allegedly having an, a vested interest in trying to help humanity, even though it doesn't feel that way that we're being helped by much of anything anymore. The planet seems to be self-destructing in many ways um, through, hu through humanness on the surface, but never give up, right? Never give up. Never give up trying to understand this. Never give up trying to be alive when the government of the United States finally tells the truth about the last 85 years of accumulated knowledge that they have in endless archives that are underground. And that's what we all need to know about. Okay? You referenced the Earth Files shop. Could you just... Uh reinforce that people can buy the books and should only buy books from the Earthfiles <laughs> shop. Yeah, this is one of the things that really puzzle, puzzles and baffles me. I get people letters saying, uh, why are your books uh, selling for $2,500 on eBay? And I, what? I have nothing to do with eBay. I have nothing to do with any uh, place that sells my books and videos, except the Earth Files shop at earthfiles.com. That's, that's my only, only uh, exchange with the world on my work, earthfiles.com. And we have a section that is the earthfiles.com section in amazon.com. And, and that is the way it's set up, so it's my work and nobody else is dealing with it. And for those of you who have uh, been with me, uh, following, dialoguing with me for years, you know that my four books and four documentaries that are at the Earth File Shop have been approximately the same price ever since they were created. 89 and in the 90s and 2002 and up to 2000. Uh, 2018 in Antarctica. And wh what has changed is are the U uh, UPS shipping charges that have gone up and we charge for that. But what I'm leading to is the Earthfile shop doesn't change much. It's always been there since I've done each work. But out in the world, for reasons that are not clear to me, People are paying $2,500 at eBay for, uh, I understand one was a hardcover of my very first book, An Alien Harvest. It was a beautiful book. I did only 1,300 of them. I signed and numbered each one, and they sold out in two weeks. Well, those books apparently are out in the world and have, I guess, uh, taken on uh, a reputation of uh, a certain quality and that people in eBay and other places uh, spend a lot of money where they can go to the Earth Files uh, shop and th there's, they're the same prices that they have been for a long time. And I just, uh, all I can say is that I hope that for those of you who have not read my four books and seen my four documentaries, that you're, you're missing a lot because those books collectively have literally hundreds and hundreds of 
color photos, black and white photos, documentations. I've tried to make my work evident, evidentiary. And then the documentaries are about subjects and aspects and facets that are not uh, even in books in some cases. So from my point of view, if you, if you want to at least see the challenge of the high strangeness that we're all trying to understand, that my four books and four documentaries have been my sincere efforts over 89 to 2022 to give people as much as I could of what I consider to be the truest and the most insightful and evidentiary material that I can. And the rest of the planet, I don't know what people do if they buy the books from me and then they go out and self through something else that has nothing to do with me. I don't know what to do about it because I just, I am focused on doing as much work as I can penetrating as many subjects as I can that to me are like putting together a Pontalisma painting. There's so many facets that you have to work hard to see the relationships and then you start standing back and you begin to see a bigger picture. I'm always trying and working on that. And for those of you who want to see what it is that I feel is really important to learn and to study. It's my four books and the four documentaries, and there are others. When I've talked about uh, David Bohm and uh, others that you, there are books that it's easier for you to write me and say, which books in X subjects would you recommend? That's easier. And at the top of the list would be my own <laughs> documentaries and books. I hope, Ian, that what I've just said is helpful. So I'm glad you cleared that up because it was only this last week I received a message uh, and the person was in the UK and they said, are you considering putting an alien harvest into print again? I can't buy a copy for less than $150 and would love to read it. And all of the books are listed at Earthfars and they are still all available. Yeah, I have no idea why this is happening, but just all of you, and, and tell everybody who asks you, go to the Earth File shop, and that is the place to interact. That is no, no hijacked prices, nothing. And, uh, and there's nothing that I can do about the U.S. Post Office increasing postal prices. We have to cover that. But the books they have, and the documentaries, they've all been the same price. So it's, it, part of me is uh, almost wants to laugh that we are all struggling so hard to have the government of the United States simply step up to the plate and start telling the truth about information and material that I have been studying since 1979 along with a lot of other people and that we are now in 2022 November that people are letting me know that they would like my work but they can't afford prices <laughs> that are on eBay that I have not, nothing to do with and I had no idea that people were paying such huge prices for my work. I mean, can you imagine what that feels like? <laughs> it's really odd. So thanks, Ian, for, for asking. I hope people will just keep coming to the Earth File shop. Yes, and also uh, you referenced Amazon. They can buy it from Amazon, yes. but from the Alan H. Productions section of Amazon, that is the official Alan H. Thank section you. of Amazon. Thank you. Okay. Uh, yes, zip eight. 784 says, I read Earth Files regularly like a newspaper. I've been doing that for years. Good, good. I'm trying as best I can to do so many different things these days. And I used to concentrate on simply doing a report every day or two at earthfiles.com from 1999 up until I started the Earth Files YouTube channel. 
And I'm doing so much hard work to do our Wednesday being together and then the travel that I have to do for ancient aliens and uh, truth hunters and uh, now into the vortex with Jimmy Church, that what I'm trying to do, earthfiles.com is a huge archive. And some of the documents that I have since 1999 to 2022, everybody should reacquaint themselves. So I'm trying right now. Uh, I'm going back through one of my large reports. I think it's 20, 20 different reports. But it is looking at what our own government has had in terms of documents that were leaked or they came through uh, somebody's uh, release in the government, having to do with how much our government has studied and what they have done in terms of the UFO phenomena, definitely going back to World War II. And if you start looking at earthfiles.com as a place where I do fresh reports, but the, what I'm trying to make sure is that you guys understand there is just a tremendous amount of archived documentary material at earthfiles.com. And if you go there and click on archive, you can start running and running. I think you'd go for, I don't know, three hours of just trying to get through the archive of all of the about uh, 2,000 reports that I have done there. And, and then if you went through and you absorbed all of the case studies and all of the documents, you come out the other side with a whole different relationship. That when we hear that the government is saying X, and then you look back at what they were saying, writing, hiding from World War II on, it gives you some kind of ballast in order to keep balanced about what is emerging now. So look at Earth Files as the website, Earth File Shop, all of the audio that is in all of those reports that I did for Coast. Every uh, Coast report that I did with uh, the MP3s are all in the earthfiles.com, huge, huge, huge website. And then there's this Earth Files YouTube channel that I love coming to be with you guys on Wednesday. And then there are the four books that are in many ways as current today as they were when I produced them because we still don't have the breakthroughs that we need that we're not alone in this universe. And the four documentaries that are there are on the fascinating subjects of Gobekli Tepe, uh, about uh, two on animal mutilations. One is a documentary that I did on my own after I left the station to work on HBO and that is Strange Harvest 1993. And it has some of the most fascinating material in it about animal mutilations of anything that I ever did. And uh, so, and then Antarctica, of course, Antarctica, uh, Alien Secrets Beneath the Ice. And I will continue to keep trying to get material that is as evidentiary as I can, that I can do another documentary and another book. And meanwhile, being able to come with you guys on Wednesdays is a feeling like this is getting closer and closer. At least it feels like that to me. That this spring, maybe April, we're finally going to get some truth that we're not alone. And everything that we have talked about here, all of the books, all of the documentaries, Earth Files. There will be a new developing lens about our universe and what is in it and what else has intelligence, what is biological. I cannot think of anything more exciting if we could just learn to live on this dear planet Earth.
in peace with each other, in peace with the climate, and in peace with all of the beautiful life forms that help sustain this planet and sustain us. My prayer, may the thought that dwells in the light do something to help us move out of this terribly rough decade that was forecast by people who had communications with ETs. 2020 to 2030 would be really rough. Well, maybe if all of us concentrated really, really hard on changing dark into light, maybe we could have an impact. Let's try. I love you guys. See you next week. Thanks for listening to this Earth Files podcast from the edges of science, environment, and real X-Files. Go to www.earthfiles.com to see more than a thousand Earth Files reports with photographs, drawings, and documents. And visit Earth Files every day, every week, for new reports and new podcasts. That's www.earthfiles.com. 